Welcome everyone to As For Me In My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is part two of chapter six, Future Beyond Judgment. And what a strange title that is, uh, Future Beyond Judgment. It can almost sound oxymoronic. If there is a judgment, how can there be any future, any good future? Well, that is what we will look at today. How is there a future if there is a judgment? And the first place that we begin is in the certainty that there is judgment. You know, one of the greatest deceptions, isn't it true, Lauren, in our culture culture is to think that there's no judgment, Hmm. to think that God's judgment is not certain, that it's not real, it's not coming for you or for me or anyone. Right. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And Romans 2.16 says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Yeah, the Bible is clear that we are accountable to our Creator for every thought, word, and deed. We're accountable to a perfect and holy Creator, and that day of accountability is coming. And so we might say, who can stand before God like this? And that, that's the right question, and it needs to be our question. And that's the question that the psalmist asked. Who can stand before you, God? That's Psalm 76, 7. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you? Well, today we'll look at the answer to that question as we now cross over from the book of Amos in the Old Testament that we looked at last time and cross over into the book of Luke in the New Testament. And as we cross over, we'll, uh, well, we'll cross over to the cross itself, the cross of Jesus. So today we are in Luke chapter 23, 38 to 46. And now as we prepare to look into God's word today, we're, we're going to be looking at four scenes, four scenes that we need to put ourselves into if we are going to find a future for ourselves beyond judgment. So these four scenes, they are first that Luke tells us, number one, of this this sign over Jesus on the cross and the criminals next to him on their crosses. And second, Luke tells us that for a period of three hours from 12 noon to 3 p.m., the sun went dark. And while this was going on, a third significant event was taking place. The veil in the temple that separated the inner sanctuary from the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And fourth, Jesus speaks his last words and then he dies. So let's look into these scenes and see how there can be a future beyond judgment for you or for me. So the first scene is this sign and the criminals. Luke 23, 38. There was also an inscription over him, over Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. Now this sign, it is an ironic sign. This is the king of the Jews. This, this Jesus was the king of the Jews. He was their king. He was their perfect king. Yet the ones who put Jesus on the cross were ob- obviously blind to his kingship. And we see this, this criminal on the cross who is next to him. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged uh, railed at him, railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So there's this mocking signage placed above Jesus. And it's also voiced by the Mm -hmm. criminal placed next to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you know, isn't this just the response that is also common today? Uh, For many, Jesus, well, he's a caricature mocked uh, for many, even in their suffering, for suffering of their own mistakes and consequences. 
And though Jesus be near, Jesus is called out to only in scorn, in, in derision. Uh, his name is taken in vain. He's called out to this way or not even called out to at all. So this first criminal, what we see is that he would not see nor bow to who Jesus is. But the other criminal came to understand the truth of who he was. Verse 40, but the other rebuked him, rebuked the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. So what did this man come to understand? Well, this is instructive, that though a criminal, there was a change in his belief that we see here. Yeah, this second criminal, we see that he respected God. He says, do you not even fear God? Hmm. And we also see that he knew his own sin. He says, we are under the same condemnation, but we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. So he respected God, he knew his own sin, and he knew Jesus. He said that this man has done nothing wrong. Right? This man, this criminal, is whom we must be like. We must fear God. We must see ourselves rightly and see Jesus rightly. And this starts with a humble view of ourself. We must see our sin and see that we actually don't deserve the best. We deserve judgment for our sin. We must see that Jesus is fully and completely without sin, undeserving of any punishment. That he was tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. And we are to believe like this man, but also we're to call out like him. Yeah, and he, he called out to Jesus. It says that he said to Jesus, uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Mm. Now we see here that he believed Jesus was who Jesus said he was. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Mm. And then he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm. Here is something truly remarkable, a deathbed conversion. And it may fairly be said to be the only biblical example of a last-minute salvation. It's been said there is one deathbed conversion in the Bible so that no one would despair, but only one so that no one would presume. Yes, and it's significant that this thief who, who trusted in Jesus at the last moment that he goes to the same heaven that anyone else does who trusts in Jesus. And you know, we might think in our uh, human thinking that this is not fair, it doesn't seem fair, but, but in the big picture, what this is, it gives glory to the grace of God mm -hmm. because salvation is not by human merit. Mm -hmm. It's all due to God's grace. Mm -hmm. So in this first scene, this first scene of this signage and the criminals, we see one man who enters paradise with God. He has a future beyond judgment. And again, it's due to the grace of God through faith in Christ. This man believed in his own sin, and he believed in Jesus' sinlessness. And he called out to Jesus as the king and his savior. Now we have to ask ourselves, do we see ourselves in this scene? Mm. Do we see ourselves as that man? Well, we need to. Well, let's move on to the next scene, the light that went out. Right, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. So this is astounding stuff, and it is very important that we catch hold of what Luke wants us to see here. First, Luke tells us what time it is. He says it's the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour means 12 noon. So from 12 noon Jerusalem time to 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the sun went dark. The time of the day when the sun should be shining the brightest, its light was dimmed by God. 
A lot of people now ask, how did this happen? But the greater question is why? Why did the sun do this? Why, when it should have been the brightest, was it shockingly dark outside? Why was it like nighttime during the day? We'll come back to this question. Yes, but first let's answer the, the how. Um, and here we need to understand that this darkness, it was supernatural and it was not by some natural occurrence. The darkness which lasted from, as you said, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock, it was supernatural. It was caused by the immediate power of God. Mm. Now many here have attempted to explain this darkness by means of, of, of natural pheno- phenomenon, uh, but that really fails. Uh, some have argued that the darkness was caused by an eclipse, but this can't be. You see, the Passover, and this was Passover time, the Passover always occurs at the time of year during a full moon. And again, it was Passover time in this scene. So during a full moon, the earth is closer to the sun than the moon. And that renders an eclipse on the earth impossible. Furthermore, an eclipse is not a three-hour event. It lasts only up to maybe seven minutes at the max, usually a few seconds, but Hmm. seven minutes probably max. And this darkness here, this was a three-hour duration. So this darkness was supernatural. It was not by some natural occurrence. But again, the question that we really need to focus on is why? Why did God make it dark for three hours in midday? Well, here's why it was dark. Here's what Luke is telling us. That it was dark for three hours because it was during those three terrible hours that Jesus was enduring the wrath of God. He was drinking the cup of God's wrath. He was being crushed for our iniquities. He endured God's judgment for our sin. Yes, and darkness, especially in the Old Testament, has always been connected to God's judgment. We could look uh, to the plague of Egypt in Exodus 10, 21 to 22, when Moses stretched out his hand and there was darkness in Egypt for three days. Mm. But here now is where we can return to the prophecy of Amos in the Old Testament that we looked at last time. And here we learn that what was spoken during the day of Amos was pointing forward to this day of Jesus on the cross. So let's go back to Amos 8, 7 to 10 that we saw last time. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob... Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? Okay, now catch this part, this part coming up next, verse 9. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon Hmm. and darken the earth in broad daylight. Hmm. And now this is exactly why Luke tells us what time these events take place. The sky goes dark at noon, the sixth hour. And by Luke's specific language, he wants us to see that the death of Christ is, in fact, fulfilling Old Testament passages. Right. Amos talked about that day when God would make the sun go down at noon and make everything dark when it should be broad daylight. Mm. The day Amos was talking about, it turns out, was this day of Jesus on the cross. Amos also had said that when this would happen, that those who normally are joyous at a feast will not be joyous, but in mourning. Verse 10 of Amos, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Yeah, that's Amos 8 to 10. And so the people who should be celebrating Passover... 
uh, they're mourning and they're beating their breasts. And this is what was fulfilled and what Luke reports in Luke 23, 47 to 48. Uh, there it says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, Certainly this man, referring to Jesus, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. So by Luke's specific language, he wants us to see that the death of Christ is in fact fulfilling Old Testament passages. These events prophesied by Amos were fulfilled by Jesus. And that is what Luke wants us to see. And to truly see, Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God's judgment that should have been poured out on God's people on the cross. That's why the sun is dark and the earth trembled while Jesus was hanging on the cross. He was enduring the judgment Amos and and the prophets such as Isaiah and Joel and others spoke of. It would not fall on God's people. It would fall on God's son. And so what we are really seeing is how there can be a future beyond judgment. And it is because Jesus died the death we deserve. Mm. Jesus absorbed the judgment that was ours. Mm -hmm. The sinless one paid for all of our sin. Well, then we see the result of what Jesus did for us. While this was all going on, another significant event was taking place. And here now is our third scene, Mm. the veil that was torn. And this is the curtain that was torn. Uh, The curtain in the temple that separated the inner sanctuary from the Holy of Holies was torn in two. So back in uh, Luke now, verse 45, it connects these two events. It says, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Matthew 27, 51 notes that the temple was torn from top to bottom. In other words, it was torn in such a way that it could only be God who tore it. So what's this telling us? What's it saying? What it's saying is that what, what has God accomplished for us? Yeah, well, what it's saying is two things. Uh, first, uh, that now you and I have free access to the throne of grace by the cross. Second, no one should ever think again that God dwells in temples that are made with human hands. So now we come to this last scene. And we could say that this last scene is what closes the deal on a future beyond judgment. Verse 46. And in this scene, what we're going to see is here now, the Savior King, he gives up his life. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now these are Jesus' last words. And what we have not covered today is his first words on the cross. And those were, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. But now here are are his last words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So in between these words, those first and last words, what was happening? Well, as Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., he was enduring one of the most excruciating deaths imaginable. And yet, as painful as it was, the worst part of the day was not the physical agony endured, but the fury of the Father pouring out his wrath for the sins of the world onto the Son, the perfect Son. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He absorbed the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. He experienced hell for us. You see, more than the extreme stress that burst blood vessels as Jesus was struggling in prayer in the garden, and more than Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, more than the beatings and mockery of these things, which indeed pained him greatly, 
It was the separation of judgment from the father that was the worst. His father, whom he had a special communion for all eternity, he had known only love, only precious fellowship until that very moment. That closeness is gone and it is felt. It is darker and more terrible than anything else in the world. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sin of all God's people was being judged, but it was on Jesus. Jesus had prayed that the cup might be taken away, but he drank it dry, every last drop. Hmm. Yeah, he, he drank it all. And after he did, he, he spoke his last words and stopped breathing. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last now let's look at something else here. Uh, Jesus had just endured an eternity of mm. God's judgment for all whom God would save. He did this in six hours. Mm. And at the end of all of this, what did we just read? At the end of all of this, he still trusts God, his Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit, he says. Now, now this should speak volumes to us today. It shows us the kind of Savior that we have, but it also shows us how to follow him, how to live in the present uh, how to live in the present and future that he has secured for us. Right. When we find ourselves in various trials, we too must continue to trust God to the very end, believing that he will work all things for the good of those who love him. We too must persevere to the very end, trusting and loving God every step of the way. So thanks to Jesus, we will never have to endure this kind of trial um, as Jesus did. Uh, and, and again, we see that if at the end, the Lord Jesus can still love and trust God the Father. We too must in all occasions uh, love and trust our Heavenly Father as well. So Jesus here gives us a wonderful example of the extent in which we must trust our Father. Well, because of Jesus' example of trust as he committed his spirit to God, uh, we see and we understand that we too can trust God with everything. You know, it's amazing to think of all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, on that good but dark Friday. Uh, on the cross, he took every thought and word and deed of our sin that we've ever committed and ever will commit, and he became a curse for us. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. The Father poured the wrath that we rightly deserve on his beloved Son instead. And the moment when all other Passover lambs were being sacrificed, the perfect lamb, the true lamb, our Passover lamb was sacrificed. And in doing so, Jesus made a way for us, a way for sinful humanity to be in the presence of a holy God. So now, response. What should our response be to such a costly gift of love? And the Bible is clear. It begins with this, that we are to repent and believe the good news. By believing in Jesus in what he has accomplished for you on the cross, he takes away all of your sin that you've ever committed Every thought, every word, every action, it's all placed on Jesus at the cross. And you are washed clean by the blood of Christ. And that is the great exchange. And it happens um, that he takes your sin, um, not only that, but he grants you his righteousness. And you are declared righteous in the Father's sight. The life of Jesus and his perfections are credited to your and my account. Isn't that amazing, Lauren? Hmm. By faith in Christ, you are declared righteous, perfect, and holy. And that is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Mm. Now, the important thing is this, not that we just know this in our heads, but in our hearts. Right. Do we know that we have been washed clean? Do we know in our hearts that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far that he has removed our transgressions from us? Right. Or do you hold on to the guilt and the shame of the past? Um, Or have you known the cleansing blood of Christ to take that weight off of you, to remove that burden, uh, to remove that judgment? It, it, It has to take root in your heart. You have to know that cleansing for you yourself specifically. So let him wash away the sin. Let him wash away the guilt and the shame. Jesus paid it all. Uh, Mm -hmm. All to him I owe. Mm -hmm. The sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's the song that we sing in Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. And that is how you and I can have a future, a glorious future beyond judgment. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us again in two weeks as we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. We will be diving into the first half of chapter 7, God in His World. May the Lord bless you in Christ. See you next time.